I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a few minutes, can't believe it again, another school district is in the news in today's Clark Rage making a big fuss about kids who didn't pay for their school lunches. Wait till you hear the angle of this one. And coming up yet later, I've told you in the past how much Zelle stinks as a payment platform, Z-E-L-L-E. Well, Consumer Reports has actually done ratings on payment services. I want to tell you what they've said about payment services that people use like Venmo and Apple Pay and the rest. So you know what you need to know to protect your wallet from people who might try to steal your money from you. I want to talk right now about a lot of theft that's gone on. That's identity theft in the aftermath over the last couple of years of the largest, most ugly data breach in the history of the modern era. And that was the Equifax data breach that hit roughly 150 million American adults, uh, somewhere close to two in three adults in the United States who had their identities wholesale stolen, so many people's identities stolen, that when criminals go to buy things like social security numbers and all that kind of stuff, that the value of those in the marketplace has fallen to virtually zero pennies. There's so much information available on us now that what used to be precious and valuable, having somebody's social security number, having their mother's maiden name, having their current and prior addresses, all the things that are involved in taking over someone's identity, that there's so much of it, it's classic supply and demand, that the value of it to crooks has gone down, down, down. Now, for you and me, The hassle factor has gone up, up, up. Equifax has reached a deal with federal and state regulators that is much less than a slap on the wrist. It's a joke how little consequences Equifax is going to suffer due to its gross negligence. For you and me as consumers, there will be some compensation available if you, in fact, have been harmed because of the Equifax data breach. Now, I hem and haw over that because how do you prove definitively when you've had a problem with identity theft that it is because of the Equifax breach? And there's really no easy smoking gun or clearly defined trail that leads an identity theft problem back to Equifax's doorstep. I mean, it's, it's clear who were the people whose information was breached, as I've got for you on Clark.com, you can see whether or not you were one of the people whose identity was breached. But even if you're on that list and you had a problem, how do you know it's from that? Now, in the aftermath of the Equifax data breach, I've had a number of incidents happen with credit card numbers being compromised and other things that have occurred that are forms of identity theft. But I don't know 
if any of those things that happen specifically relate to the Equifax breach. Now, there was the huge Yahoo breach where people's usernames and passwords were exposed for every Yahoo mail person in the world. And so some things happened to me after that became known that make me wonder some of the things that have happened to me is it because of the Yahoo breach. So this, this is tough to figure out the trail. But if you have had problems where you've actually had to lay out money, you're eligible for 500 bucks just for the time that you've spent dealing with some form of identity breach. And any out-of-pocket expenses you've had, you can get that in addition. And there are some other elements of this that all await court approval. And I will have for you on Clark.com what you need to know once there is a final agreement that is blessed by the courts. But the most important thing that came clear today is that OneNote Clark still has one note to play with the Equifax data breach. And that is there is nothing in this settlement that gets to the core of how you can better protect your identity than a tool we've had now for free for a year, and that is doing a credit freeze. Credit freeze is still the only effective strategy that we possess to protect our identity and our personal information. So I've got at Clark.com my credit freeze guide. You can see it at Clark.com slash Equifax, and you'll be able to see what you need to know and do. But this is an ongoing tale that leads to only one conclusion. You know those name-your-own-adventure books? There's only one conclusion to this adventure or misadventure with Equifax and Yahoo and the other breaches, and that is that American industry and banking are going to have to come up with new procedures and new ways to verify our identity because the old strategy of verifying identity based on our social security numbers and our credit files will not work. The system is permanently broken because of the Equifax data breach. And the only way to restore trust on the part of a business that they're doing business with who they think they're doing business with is to come up with new techniques to verify. A lot of those are going to have a creep-out factor involving biometrics, uh, eye scans, facial scans, any of a number of techniques to verify that we are who we say we are. Um, the, at the most rudimentary level, it will be fingerprint scans. The most effective of all that I know of, at least today, is voice scans that are supposed to be unique to each individual as the most effective strategy moving forward. But all of these things involve an additional breach of our personal space in return for a business being able to know, or government, being able to know that we are who we say we are. Nick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Nick. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Nick. You got a question for me that is always a puzzler how I answer it. 
Okay. All right. So the question that I have is, uh, it relates to home warranties. Um, you know, whether they're worth it and, um, when, if they are worth it, you know, when would I go about purchasing one, right? I'm, I'm in a relatively new development, about two and a half, almost three years old. So appliances and things like that are in, in fairly good shape, right? But right. I don't know if these home warranties are, are worth the cost. So here's why I puzzle people with the answer. And we just had another Clark Stinks from somebody who disagreed with me so much with what I'm about to say to you. I'm a big fan of you when you sell that home, offering a home warranty to a buyer is kind of like a peace of mind thing, is a psychological kind of thing for a buyer. But I, I would never renew that thing if I were a buyer of your home because the home warranty companies are generally very difficult to deal with, require that you use only their supplied contractors require that you pay a deductible for every visit and the people who will most likely sign up to take the low reimbursements that come from a warranty company are not generally going to be uh, let's say the elites of whatever skilled trade it is that someone's coming to see you i see i believe that if you think about over a 10-year period you're talking about approximately five thousand to six thousand dollars that you would pay for having a home warranty and think about how many repairs you can do as you would wish to do them with that kind of money over a $6,000. Exactly. That's a lot. So I see them as a marketing technique when you're selling a home, but that's Mm -hmm. all I see them as. So so typically when you um, engage with one of these companies, do they come out to do any kind of an inspection or... You would think they would, but the profit margins on these are so ginormous that they generally don't do that. They just write the warranty for you and then you're in their quote-unquote protection plan and they all have their own protocol about how they do what they do. And they vary in quality how they respond to people from company to company. But mm-hmm. I, I just am not excited by the idea. And then I'll have somebody call me and say how wrong I am because they had uh, something go out in their home that after they paid their deductible, the warranty company took care of it. And look how much they would have spent if they'd listened to me and not bought the warranty. So that's the counter to what I say. But it's one of those areas where I believe you're your best insurance company if you take what you would put toward those premiums and you put it into a house maintenance fund. To me, that's the best idea. Ashley's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ashley. Hello. How are you? I am excellent. How are you? Great. Thank you. And you are getting married. I am. Yes. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Do you like your fiance's family? I do. Isn't that nice? Yeah. See, that's an important thing. I always, (laughs) I always want to know that you're not going to have, you're not marrying into family drama of any kind. Exactly. No, I got lucky this one. Well, good. Well, how can I be of help? I wanted to thank you first off, just um, for being willing to share your experiences and your knowledge with others, because it helps us to make informed decisions. And I know for me, it's played a large role in my life over the years. 
just helping and understanding how to be a better, more competent consumer. Well, thank, so thank you. <laughs> hey, so my question, as you know, I recently got engaged and I'm actually looking for advice on non-wedding days to consider. So as a background, my fiance and I were both debt free. We have mutually decided that we want to do a prenup and we both make good salaries. Um, and we also split the cost of our living 50-50 and we're undecided on having children. So I'm actually looking for advice on stuff like how do I know whether to do taxes filed or combined and what type of life insurance to get and how to decide what spouse should get on each other's health plans and, and things along that line. So you're, uh, And can I ask generally the ages that you and your oh, fiancé sure. are? I'm, I am 30 and then my fiancé is 34. Okay. So you've been out there on your own for a while, neither of you coming into the marriage with kids. Correct. So you're starting uh, fresh. So the prenup thing, you both want to do a prenup. And Correct. it's funny, I'm not into prenups because I'm just an incurable romantic. <laughs> and so if you think about what a prenup is, it's like planning before you get married for what happens if the marriage doesn't work out. I know. Yeah. And so that... That really is something I'm not generally comfortable with, even if it did make financial sense. Okay. But if it's something that feels right to both of you, that you should do it, and you're both of an equal mind about that, then go ahead and do it. The okay. prenup becomes more important if one or the other of you is coming into the marriage with a great deal of assets. Oh, I see. Okay. Is that true for either of you? No, we're very equal in what we'd be coming into the marriage with. So I don't know that that's as important, although I do like at the age you're getting married that you have, each of you have your own accounts and then you have a joint household account. Correct. And that you agree based on what your combined expenses are, the money that each of you contributes each month so that you yep. make sure rent or mortgage are paid, that kind of thing. Is for life exactly. insurance... I would like for each of you to have a life insurance policy for the benefit of the other. Mm -hmm. And my general rule is that you buy 10 times each of your annual income. Okay. And you buy a simple level term insurance policy. And at the age each of you are, buy a straight 30-year level term policy. Okay. You can buy those now even without a medical exam if you want. Or okay. you can go through a traditional thing where you buy with an exam. I've got examples of companies that do the instant issue policies where they do it based on being able to check electronically what's happened with you medically over time. Sure. I've got a, I've got a story about that on Clark.com. Okay. But the other things, I'd like for the two of you to sit down and have a serious talk about what your goals are for your lifetime, what do you, how long you want to work, what you want to do in retirement, think through what the goals are and what you're going to do to achieve those goals. I think that is core and key to having good communication moving forward. Okay, I can't believe that we have a third Clark Rage about yet again another spat going on over school breakfasts and lunches. The last one was one that I really trashed a school system and then more information came out later and I set the record straight that uh, there was more to the story than I had originally told. This one doesn't seem to be 
anything, more of the story will come out. But try to imagine this. The Wyoming Valley West School District, which is in Pennsylvania, sent over a thousand letters home to various uh, families of kids in the school district who had unpaid money for lunches mostly, and most of the bills were $10 or so for unpaid lunches. And the school district, in its letter, threatened that if the bills were not paid, that the parents were going to lose their children, their children were going to be taken away and put in foster care. And that is, according to a report from TV station WNEP, the letters are, are really creepy, scary about telling parents they're going to take away their kids. And school districts actually don't have that power. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to save money each and every day. Last End of last week, I had the privilege of being in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for dedication of our Habitat home there that I did in conjunction with a family that has co-sponsored a home with me in Tulsa for years called the Swindler family. And so we dedicated what is my 78th Habitat home that's been my privilege to build with my listeners, viewers, readers, uh, podcast listeners, whatever, web visitors, everybody who's involved in what we do. And it was a beautiful dedication. And then I flew to Atlanta for day three of our 79th Habitat home that we are building alongside a regional supermarket chain called Publix. We're splitting that one 50-50. And uh, I had the displeasure of hanging siding. I am so bad at that job. But for eight hours, hung siding on the side of a house. So the side of the house doesn't do well, the side that I was working on. Actually, I was working on two of the four sides. We'll know why, because I was doing it. But it's really hard to properly hang hardy plank, which is a concrete-based siding that, that I was hanging. But I'm so grateful to all the volunteers at any of the Habitat builds that I'm involved with around the country. I appreciate what you do to create affordable housing that a family can buy at a much lower price than it would be otherwise if it weren't for your volunteer labor. So I want to talk again about something that has been a source of a lot of angst for people that I've covered on TV, people who have lost money using peer-to-peer payment apps. The best well-known of all is Venmo, but now there are a number of others. Producer Joel loves the Cash app from Square. Uh, uh, Some people use, it doesn't have much market share, but they use Apple Pay. And then there's one, the banks, out of fear of these non-bank entities getting on their turf, the banks have pushed really hard an app called Zelle that either can be a standalone, but usually if you go into your bank's app, 
there will be a thing for you to send money to someone and this has been the core the source of a lot of tears and heartache and lost money for people as with these peer-to-peer apps a lot of criminals on craigslist and other places are trying to get you to use payment apps to send them money well once money goes that money is gone forever zelle in particular has terrible terrible problems with it that you have no hope if you accidentally mistype a digit and put in the wrong phone number for somebody that money's gone forever Zelle didn't even put proper disclosures till recently after Consumer Reports gave Zelle the lowest score by far of any payment app. Now know this, if you see the thing of sending money to someone on your bank's app, know that that behind the scenes almost certainly is Zelle, and it's too hot to handle. Consumer Reports gave Zelle, this is shocking, an overall score of 50. I mean, even cable companies get higher scores than 50. And I've trashed Zelle repeatedly on the air and uh, on Clark.com, and we've offered Zelle a chance to go on the air. I think soon we'll have someone from Zelle on the air with me trying to explain why I misunderstand, why I'm wrong, whatever, and why Zelle is the greatest thing ever. But that's the way I do things is when I pick on somebody, they have the opportunity to come on the air and get a opportunity to have their say of the peer-to-peer payment services the only one that got what i consider to be a passing grade in the 70s still a mediocre score was apple pay that apple pay does the best job of anybody of payment authentication does as good a job as the cash app at data security and does the best job of any of them at data privacy and the best customer support of all of them tested was from Venmo but the thing is none of these are exactly doing a great job when the chips are down because there was never any anticipation in banking regulations or law for peer-to-peer payment apps So it's a bit of a Wild West kind of environment. It's still at the pioneer stage. And you know what they say, pioneers get slaughtered so settlers can get rich. Know that when you're using these apps, be very, very careful and use any of them only for the purpose of paying money to family members or close friends. That's it. Family members or close friends. Nobody else. Pete is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Pete. Pete, you there? Yeah. Hello. Hey, Pete. So, hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great. I understand that you handle your money extremely well. Well, I do the best I can, yes. So let's hear how you handle your money day to day, month to month. Well, we, we use credit cards, but we pay them off before they're due. We don't finance cars, and the only debt that we have is our mortgage. Okay, so that's classic great finance. And by the way, you said you have a mortgage you're paying. I just saw this fantastic stat that 37% 
of homeowners now own their homes free and clear, no mortgage. Wow. So Higher than I would think it would be. I know, I know. But that's good news, and that's a, a great trend line. So that's your next ambition, maybe. Except it, you may have may other be. things that are higher priorities. Yep. So what else goes on in your life that I could possibly help you with? Because it sounds like you're already handling money great. Yeah, the question I had was the the fact that we don't really have any revolving debt except for, I guess, the mortgage, if you call that revolving debt. Will that affect us, our children, getting uh, financial aid when they go to college in around four or five years? Okay, so uh, good questions. First of all, a mortgage is not revolving debt. Your credit cards are. Having okay. a mortgage, which is a different kind of debt, actually is an improving factor for your credit score because okay. it's easier for the credit scoring models to figure out your overall risk profile, which is what a credit score is really about, by having different types of credit. So as far as the situation with your kids, how old are your kids? They are 12 and 14. Okay, are you doing 529 accounts for them? We have not been because that's one thing we really haven't been able to contribute to. They have small accounts. I think they've got a total of maybe 15000 and that's it. And they probably won't have more because our mortgage is rather high because we needed to buy in an area where the schools were good for the okay. kids. All right. So what happens as far as when you fill out the FAFSA, and again, uh, that's why I wanted to know the age of your kids, because the factors could change between now with a 12 or 14-year-old and when your kids are going to college. But what the, what the FAFSA is looking for is how much in assets you have that could be devoted to your kid's college. And as a simple number, not 100% accurate, roughly 5% of the money you have available in non-retirement accounts, money, actual cash, is expected to be used for your child's college as part of the financial aid formula. So if you've got a high mortgage, you're saving money, is you know you're not running credit card debt or whatever those things don't really affect what would happen on the fafsa it's really more about what you got so that's the the core and key question for you pete is what is your supply of cash like Sorry, Clark, I missed you there for a minute oh, i said what's your supply of cash like do you have um we have an emergency fund, and we have been doing a little bit of investing, but we don't have a lot. All right, so the investing you should do um, with looking at kids being in college from four to the next 10 years <laughs> yep. yeah, is you should look very heavily at only doing your investing in qualified retirement accounts. Like 529. No, no, I'm talking about like Roth IRAs, 401ks. Okay. Not, okay. not traditional investment accounts, because okay. traditional investment account money you'll be expected to use for your kid's college, but retirement account money, not. So at least under the rules as they're established today. So your kids likely um, are going to, 
uh, be able to find eligibility for financial aid as long as you don't have a lot of cash sitting around in non-retirement purposes, you'll be A-OK through the financial aid process. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Clark. Uh, how are you today? Great. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I have a question. I'm starting to do uh, research on solar because uh, I have a house that leaks like a sieve, and my air conditioning costs are quite high in the Florida summer. So I'm thinking if I can cut down on my costs by installing some solar, yeah, I'd be okay. But my problem is um, everywhere with social media bombing me with uh, ads all over the place because they know I'm looking, I don't know what to do or where to turn or how to uh, correctly uh, judge which guys are just trying to rip me off and which guys I can go to and trust. Can you help me out a little bit? Yeah, so the first thing, I want to go back to something you said up front that I was having trouble hearing. Did you say your house leaks really badly? Yeah, air conditioning. Um, it's a old, very old, 40-year-old manufactured home. Okay, and so, I, so the first thing, before you'd even consider solar, is there the ability to put in additional insulation, either uh, blown in... a uh, I don't know if you could do bad insulation anywhere in a manufactured home, but you could certainly use the new products that are a, a foam kind of product that would do a good job of sealing the air leaks in your home, which would actually be the first step I would recommend before you look okay. towards solar. How many square feet is the manufactured home? Uh, Nineteen ninety-nine. Oh, so it's a 2,000-square-foot home. That's a pretty good-sized home. Yeah, that counts uh, the Florida room in the back, and uh, there's a small porch that they add into the square footage, but mostly it's interior. Okay, so uh, you may have something that would support having a small solar panel system, and... In Florida, you you bring up an interesting thing by mentioning the state of Florida, because okay. I don't know if you were aware, but the monopoly power providers in the state of Florida have been given wide latitude to make it very difficult for Florida homeowners to put in solar. I'm dimly aware of that. Yes, and so I until the political climate becomes less corrupt in Florida, I would say that you're playing with fire putting solar in at your home. The legislature has pretty much established public policy in the state of Florida that solar is to be what's called utility scale, that the power companies, the monopoly power companies, put in the solar in huge arrays and that they control the supply of solar and that if you as a homeowner want to put it in and generate your own power, the process in Florida is very hostile to you. In the worst cases in Florida, people have installed solar and then not been able to turn it on because the monopoly power company refuses to come out and do the final inspection. 
The other nuisance in the state of Florida has been that the power companies have been requiring these nuisance insurance policies, claiming that solar could cause great damage to the power grid and requiring you to have insurance policies as large as a million dollars to protect the power company. So here I am, I'm almost helping the power companies defeat individuals putting in solar. But I would discourage you right now until the corruption that has infested the energy system in the state of Florida is dealt with, either by citizen initiative or by enough light being shown on this problem that it goes away. So for now, I would say do the things that would make your home more efficient. And if you haven't installed a computer thermostat like a Nest or something like that, do that as well to reduce your bills. If you haven't installed LED lighting, do that. I would do all those things instead of doing solar because of this uh, ridiculous political problem and corruption problem in Florida. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's Ask Clark time. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. Producer Joel then pops your question for me, or to me, for you, however I'd say that. (laughs) This one is for Craig, and he says, what's the difference between a target retirement fund and a target retirement index fund? You seem to use the phrases interchangeably, but I think maybe one has more fees. Okay, so this is mainly a fidelity issue. Fidelity which is one of the largest players in the country in 401k plans, one of the largest financial organizations in the world, Fidelity offers in a lot of employer plans. And then outside of an employer plan, if you're doing a Roth IRA with Fidelity, they offer you a choice of a target retirement plan, which is an investment plan geared towards the age closest or year closest to when you plan to retire, And it's a little pricey for the management fees on the traditional Fidelity target retirement plan. So Fidelity has a second type called a target retirement index fund that also is for whatever year. So you let's say for year 2050, you could go in the index version or the regular. The index version has much lower costs and is actually the Fidelity product I recommend for you to be in in your employer-provided 401k or your own Roth IRA. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.